Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. When you see yourself imagining the worst case scenario, notice that and then make yourself imagine the best case scenario too. That's only fair. What's the best thing that could happen? There's nothing wrong with imagining the worst case, as long as it's not the only thing you imagine. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. We're going to delve back into the Enneagram this week. We started this journey by looking at and identifying the truest parts of ourselves. Then we took an uncomfortable look at the dark and shadowy parts. The truth may set you free, but that doesn't mean it won't be difficult to look at. That's why we'll be exploring courage, the courage it takes to embrace emotional discomfort and how we're conditioned against doing exactly that. I'm excited to announce my next course begins March 31st, 2022, and it's called The Art of Asking Questions, Curiosity, Listening, and Intuition. I've been wanting to do this course for a while, and here's why. Curiosity is a superpower because it is upstream of all learning. When you are curious about something, you learn. When you're not, you don't. If you're curious about your own limits, they lessen. If you're curious about how you don't listen, you listen better. If you know how to ask good questions, your curiosity can express. It is hugely underestimated in our society how important curiosity is. Curiosity is a soul-level attribute. Therefore, its expression through questions is foundational to anything you want. Strength, intelligence, consciousness, resilience, confidence, focus, whatever. Because any quality you want calls you to ask powerful questions like, what's getting in the way of that? Why isn't it there yet? Do I really want it? Do I have the courage to pay the price? Whatever it is, it's always a function of curiosity. Only curiosity will see you through to the root answer, the root cause. Most people have no idea they lack curiosity. It's a blind spot. And that makes it, without exaggeration, the root cause of their problems. This course will give you the tools to change that. The Art of Asking Questions begins March 31st, 2022. After that, it will be available as an online course. I'd love to have you join us live. For more info, go to clearandopen.com slash questions. Again, that's clearandopen.com slash questions. Thanks so much for listening. Let's start the show. Greetings, everybody. Welcome to session seven of Psycho-Spiritual Dimensions of the Enneagram. Thanks for being here. We'll start with any questions, digestions, presentations. I'm open to a number of different plural nouns ending in T-I-O-N-S. Uh, welcome, Eric Grace. Thanks for being here. It's 
at some point, Eric, if you want to introduce yourself, if that's now or, or later, um, say who you are. Eric is an old, he's, he's old. <laughs> Eric is an old soul, an old friend, an old mentor, an old many things. Uh, a soul brother of mine and express some interest in being here. And so I'm, I'm overjoyed to have him. I'm sure he'll add a lot if he feels like it. And uh, yeah, so the floor is open, but um, I, I need at least half hour or 40 minutes maybe for what I want to talk about today, but the floor is open. And I can fill the space, you know, my mother taught me how to fill space, so I can do that as well. Questions? <clears throat> I don't know what last uh, group was about, so you have to give me a little context. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Questions. <laughs> I did. I did actually want to. You just, as usual, uh, the audience is cueing me. Um, I did want to uh, tie what we did last time into today, uh, and that will be a a kind of uh, a follow-on thing. But I, in the last assignment, I asked you to look at your deepest, darkest, most shadowy aspects of your Enneagram type because we started with looking at the best of you, which is always a good place to start. It was actually Eric's idea. I was going to have you go first deep into the shadow stuff. And, and I was chatting with Eric and he said something about, the, what about the good stuff too? I'm like, oh, right, yes. Some of my, uh, um, because it's it's always tempting. But I did talk about before uh, that the we talked about early on that strengths and weaknesses are the same thing, right? So that's a, another good thing to represence. Your weaknesses are derivative of your strengths. Remember, you cannot have a weakness without a strength. So example I always give is distractible people have lots of ideas and are typically creative and. Um, superficial people are typically fun-loving and very alive. And so that's the trick is to not see strengths and weaknesses as opposites. Going back to, remember when we learned antonyms and synonyms in like second grade or whatever? I wish I could crash that, that uh, classroom and be like, wait a minute. In one way, strengths and weaknesses are opposite. And in another way, they're not. Imagine learning that at third grade. And then having it reinforced every year for you know the rest of your education. But instead, this idea that strengths and weaknesses are opposites gets put into us. And then we have to focus and pay attention to the strengths and push away the weaknesses. And how well does that work? It's certainly useful, but it's also if the other truth is not honored, uh, then it creates a division in yourself where you have to push away your weaknesses, which are aspects of you and your aspects of your own humanity. And then uh, as an adult, you end up confronted by life uh, in your weaknesses. And if, you're have, if you have difficulty looking at them because you have this frame that they're opposites or that the weaknesses are bad, um, then, it, then you can't reclaim yourself and you can't work on them. So that's why <clears throat> so much of the what I've been trying to frame here is it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And the Enneagram is, you know, I think one of the best things about it is it shows in excruciating detail, and I use that word intentionally, excruciating detail, how strengths and weaknesses are the same and they all go together. And 
you know, here's a scale and, you know, there's just no escaping them. And um, we've talked a little bit about where that comes from in childhood and we'll probably go deeper into that. So uh, if there's a, a heaviness around looking at the Enneagram, uh, the, the author, um, Enneagram author Helen Palmer has said, if you're not at least a little bit humiliated when you discover your Enneagram type, you haven't found it yet. And um, people go years sometimes knowing the Enneagram uh, or thinking they do, thinking they know their type, only to discover uh, that it was something different than they thought. And I know that was the case for me and it was the case for Eric, I remember. Uh, uh, it's like you can go years thinking you're one type and discover that it's actually something else. And that can be as a result of denial and it can be the result of uh, just emergent stuff that comes up. You you know heal some things in yourself and go, oh, look at that. This isn't here anymore. And now this set is here. I guess there were a bunch of layers over that. It's very common with um, uh, confusion between uh, threes and sevens, as we've talked about, threes and eights, fours and sixes, uh, fives and nines. Uh, for me, uh, with uh, wings, a lot of times our defense system will masquerade as a wing. So I thought I was a four for a long time, turned out to be a three. So the defense system thinks it's not okay to be known because you were not known by your parents sufficiently. So it will hide in these ways as a way of trying to keep you safe, but it doesn't work. So uh, the truth shall set, you, shall set you free, Jesus said. In that same page, though, I've looked at it, it doesn't say anything about how hard it is to look at the truth. <laughs> it was a sort of a marketing moment. The truth shall set you free. There was no like, and it's going to be really embarrassing along the way, probably. Uh, it's a great sales pitch. Uh, and that's something I, I do want to talk about, um, about uh, uh, courage today. That's the topic, courage and the uh, what it takes to embrace emotional discomfort and how we're conditioned not to do that. But before I launch into that, anything? Yeah, Joseph, I haven't shared my uh, my number yet, and I'm interested to see what you what your take is on it. Uh, I think I found it and, uh, and I'm struggling with it in a way, in, in a lot of ways, because uh, I'm really only seeing the unhealthy side of it and I can't see the healthy side. So sometimes it's embarrassing for me to share it. Oh, I'd love to. I, I can tell you all about the strengths that uh, related to your type. So interesting that it's an interesting dilemma. I'd, I'd love to help you with that. What do you think you are? I think I'm a six. I agree. Okay. And what are the strengths of six that you embody? Uh, well, I'm hardworking. I'm yep. dependable. I'm reliable. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll work till I'm exhausted to get things mm-hmm. done, uh, just to, to, to be there and be that person for the organization that I'm with or group. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's the positives. Any but- more? You've read about sixes. Any others that apply? Nothing that I can think of right off. Quick thinking. Yeah. Yep. Analytical. Yep. You're a really good problem solver. 
a lot care. of these. Hmm? I, I, you're right. I do care, but a lot of these, I'm looking at the fault side of it. Uh huh. Which is, uh, and and what is it about sixes that would cause you to do that? I'm not so sure. Uh, sixes have, so this is a really interesting, it's sort of a snake eating its own tail thing here. Um, sixes tend to focus a lot on the negative. They're, uh, the, they're often called the devil's advocate. So that's the, uh, the critical thinking skills that you have and the analytical problem solving thing causes you can cause average to unhealthy sixes to be excessively pessimistic about themselves or anything else. In extreme cases, uh, sixes can have a, a kind of victimhood, sky is falling, everything is bad sort of thing. Uh, and so when that's turned inward on yourself in the form of an inner critic, it's going to make it far easier to focus on the negative than the positive. So that's a really good thing to uh, know about yourself and uh, to balance that pessimism with optimism. You know, I've said to one of the classic things that I use to identify sixes is, do you find yourself, I'll ask him, do you find yourself worst case scenarioizing about things when you imagine something, you know, a, a project, a plan, or even your day? Do you find yourself thinking about the worst possible things that could happen? Yeah. Now, do you guys see the look on Bill's face? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. When you ask someone that question and they have this kind of haunting look on their face, yeah, they just told you that's what's going on. And so what's the gift of that? The gift of that is uh, that's why, you know, if you were to survey a thousand uh, insurance actuaries, risk analysis people, anyone in an analytical position, uh, computer programmers, you know, a good three quarters of them, I would bet, are sixes. Because if you want, or uh, engineers, also engineering tend to be sixes, which computer programming is, computer programming is engineering. It, it's really useful to be able to poke holes in stuff, isn't it? To be able to imagine what the worst possible thing that could happen is. You know, if I want someone to build a bridge for me, I want them to, to be able to think of what really could go wrong or someone who's doing surgery or, you know, you know, whether they, uh, the, the person performing or the person who designed the surgery or something, I want someone involved there who's really skilled at imagining the worst possible case scenario so that it can be averted, right? That's what, I mean, you know, in any insurance company, I would love to survey it. You know, it's filled, it's teeming with sixes because they're all imagining what the worst thing that could happen is and then hedging against it. Now that can play out positively or negatively, but it's a useful skill, you see. But if it's excessively and imbalancedly used, then it becomes pessimism, you see. But it's not pessimism if it's balanced with the best case scenario too. So one assignment I often give sixes is, okay, when you imagine yourself, uh, when you see yourself imagining the worst case scenario, notice that and then make yourself imagine the best case scenario too. That's only fair. What's the best thing that could happen? There's nothing wrong with imagining the worst case, as long as it's not the only thing you imagine. So I'm a six too, as you know. 
And yeah, yeah, so I'm identifying a lot with everything you're saying right now. Um, so I'm a worst case scenario and I am a surgeon. So you're welcome. Um, yes, I was, but I was talking about talking about slash for you. <laughs> yes. Um, but in my job that I do, um, I do think of that and, and I am able to feel relief and not have that pessim, not pessim, maybe it is pessim, pessimism, but that worst case scenario when everything is all done and everything seems to be okay. And I can imagine when things go great. Actually, I know what they're like when they go great, but I can't live in the moment of what I do. Maybe I can. I, I just don't know how I can do that. Yeah. So. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know if that's work. something I should work on or just be no, like, no. okay, that's where I am. Yeah. Now that brings us to an even deeper level. Then the question is, what's good about worst case scenarioizing? And don't say nothing. That's well, you anticipate all the problems. Yes. And what else? So that's sort of the, the situational thing. But when living in a general state of worst case scenarioizing, what's good about that? It's safe. How? Because, well, because if you're living in a life of worst case scenario, then you anticipated as much as you can, if something were to go wrong, how you're going to get out of the situation and then you're okay. Yeah. It's the, for me, it's the not knowing part that's really hard as a six. Like I need to know what that next step is. And if not, then I'm like, I don't want to go there at all. So it really is a good story for me. And that's what produces the lack of courage that sixes struggle with. And now trace that back to your childhood. Well, I know that's the reason, a lot of the reason why. And that's the struggle that as you were talking and I I haven't been able to really formulate into words of um, when you say that you are your type because that is, you you were brought up in a family that that helps you be the type that you are. I may not be saying that correctly. Maybe it really. Yes. Well, you came into it allowing that to make you be what you are so that you could work on that or be a part of that or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm kind of, I found that very interesting because I was trying to think before you've made that comment directly to me that I was like, well, maybe my family helped actually make me be a six where I would have been something else if it wasn't for my childhood. Well, the, my the frame as I see it is we choose the Enneagram type before we incarnate, and then we choose a family that will produce that. So you pre-choose, and then the family makes it. So we're both a victim in one way and not in another, depending on the perspective. So you chose to be a six, and then at the incarnational DMV, you you know met with the people and the guides and whatnot. And they said, well, here are a number of families that fit the profile of what you need. These guys will all turn you into a six, which, which makes sense for you. And you went, oh, that one there. No, that one seems way too hard. What about this one? And one of your guys is like, no, that one would be too easy. You need something in between. And then you chose that family and then ended up a six. Ended up, in quotes. So what... 
how was the um, pessimism? Not quite the right word. I know. I, I like that you stumbled on it. It's like um, I will use it for now. I can't come up with a better one. How did that pessimism serve you as a child? Not in the beginning, but how was it a useful compensation? Um, it. It's too quick for me to answer these questions. Um, it served me by, well, as a six, it's um, very, um, like you take the middle ground. So if you can take the middle ground, then you're not being seen. And if you're not being seen, then bad things don't happen. Yeah. It's, it's a risk aversion technique. If you never get your hopes up, or or express joy or aliveness, then you get to avoid what? Negative things, which anything negative, really. Yeah, it's, it's negative like, emotion, negative. Yeah, it's like have you ever heard somebody say, um, if you ask someone like what their dreams are, what their biggest goals are, and they say, well, I, you know, I've thought about that sometimes, but I can never really land on something because I don't want to get my hopes up too much because then if it doesn't come true, I'll be so disappointed. Mm -hmm. That's a smoking gun of parents who squashed you, basically. Squashed your aliveness, squashed your dreams, squashed your positivity and then we create, and everybody does this, I think, to one degree or another, but sixes have it in spades. And it's a, it's a defense compensation to um, hide, repress, protect the, that joy, that aliveness, that aspirationalness, so that the parents can no longer step on it, one or both of the parents. And so it's a survival mechanism that then translates into our adulthood in the ways that we're talking about of just automatic worst case scenario that goes all the way back to just imagine when a kid is excited about something, they need the parent to join them in that excitement. Even if it's delusional, they need to at least have it be met for a moment like, oh yeah, I know you're excited to build a bridge across the river in our backyard, but that's a wonderful idea, sweetheart. But, you know, that's like requires engineering and it's probably against the law or, you know, that kind of, you can't just squash it. But all I you find myself, is, yeah, I find myself yeah. doing that with my kids sometimes though, too. Like, no, you, you can't build a firecracker. I'm sorry. That's just not safe. <laughs> of course you do that. That's how your parents were with you, at least to some degree. Now, I'm sure you've improved upon it a whole lot. But yeah, of course it passes on. The same way uh, the, the way your father did it to you was passed on to him. Of course. So, it, it, you know, in the beginning, just it's about noticing that and, and having some compassion for yourself about how the default mode is the worst case scenario and to start to balance that out. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app 
view the full description of the episode and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com review and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.